This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Design. This is where the best of the best brands, experts, change makers, and thought leaders come together to share their valuable insights, experience, and knowledge. Our goal here is to be the missing link between education, design, and industry. So today's episode is actually going to go a little bit deep. It's going to get real deep and meaningful. So this is something we struggle with and want to learn more about all the time. So to speak about this really unique topic, I have here with me an award-winning leadership strategist, Harvard-trained coach, and a member of the esteemed Forbes Coaches Council, Shade Zarai. She's a specialist in building a success mindset, self-belief, and self-mastery for business professionals. And we're gonna talk about the five inner critics, and how these shape our decisions and what we ultimately achieve in life. So a bit of a crazy one, bit of an awesome one, and I think a very important topic in all itself. So let's get straight into it. Shade, welcome to Inspiring Design. Thank you, I'm very excited to be here and thanks for the opportunity to come on the show. Thank you, thank you. And um, so I always like to start off with a little bit of background. What's your story been? What's uh, leading up onto this point? What's the Shade's story? Ooh. Dropping the big ones straight <laughs> off the bat. Where do I start? What do I want to share? You know what? I will, I'm going to share a story that actually, no, let me take you back to the beginning because it will make more sense. So I started my career working in the law. I studied psychology and law at university. I thought initially I was going to be a psychologist and then I got confused and then thought I was going to be a lawyer and then I became a lawyer and I was just extremely miserable in that environment to the point that I would feel nauseous every morning when I knew I had to go to work. And it wasn't until I had an experience on a weekend where I was walking in the CBD in Sydney, because that's where I used to work and used to live. I'm now in Melbourne. I was walking in the CBD and I started feeling nauseous. It was on a weekend and I couldn't figure out why. And I looked around and I saw my building, my work building. And I thought, you know, my body is telling me something here. I need to listen to it. So I transitioned into banking and finance and I had a fantastic career there. And the, the key lessons that I learned over the course of my career, the first lesson comes from a short story where I moved into that industry with no background, with so much self-doubt. I had no idea what was going on. I did not back myself. And I remember speaking to a mentor early on and I said to her, Mel, I don't feel like I have what it takes to succeed here. I, I can't see myself succeeding. She said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't know how to do complex financial modeling. I don't understand Excel. I don't understand all these banking terminology. And she sat and she looked at me and she was a very senior lady. And she said, Shade, why are you focusing on everything that you cannot do? Why don't you focus on what you can do? That's why you're here. And for me, that was a massive turning point and a game changer because, and I have since learned through the work that I now do with professional women, that women have a tendency to focus on what we lack and what we don't have, and it holds us back. But broadening it out, I think a lot of young professionals fixate on everything that they lack, and it consumes them. 
when actually I'm such a believer that every single person has a unique combination of talents and strengths. And we need to get better as a society in helping them uncover and unlock those rather than pointing out all the things that they don't yet have. So that was the first initial lesson that I had around focusing on your strengths and really crafting a career around what you love. The second lesson I had was when I was in the second year of that industry, I, someone pulled out of an event. And so I got to go. And that event was actually a three-day workshop to develop um, the values proposition for the company. Now the company had 40,000 people. And so I went along to it. I kept thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I'm such an imposter. I shouldn't be here. And then we got to the third day, the final day. And the facilitator said to everybody, okay, who would like to present this to the executives who were coming in in a couple of hours? Now, I was by far the most junior person in that room. I thought every single person would stick their hand in the air. I mean, who wouldn't want an opportunity to get exposure to senior executives? So my hand went straight up. And then when I took a moment to actually look around me, I saw that there were only three other people with their hands up, the general manager of something, the senior director of something else and the head of something else and myself, me, the lowly employee. But the point of that was we then got up, all four of us, and we presented to the executives. And from there, we then got to travel around with the executives and the CEO to present this to all of the senior leaders of the company and eventually launch it to the entire company itself for 40,000 people. And why that's a really powerful story for me is because in that moment, had I taken an additional second to listen to the voices in my head, which were telling me, you don't belong here. You're, not an, you're, you're an imposter. You don't know enough. You're going to fail. I wouldn't have put my hand up and it would have sabotaged me from doing anything. It would have sabotaged me from action and it would have prevented me from all of those opportunities that really catapulted my career. And, you know, why I think this is so important is because this idea of the inner critic is something that affects all of us at varying times. Yeah. So they were two early experiences I had. From then on, I started really tapping into and learning and understanding what is going on within people that either holds them back or propels them forward. Mm-hmm. And so I started rediscovering my love of psychology, uh, understanding you know, human behavior, what's going on, what motivates people, what differentiates people who are really fulfilled and happy from those who are not, who might be in the same position. And then a number of years back, um, we established, my husband and I established our company, Influencio Global. So we now train companies around the world um, on, the top, you know, on the themes of resilience and well-being and mindfulness, but from the perspective of what's going on in the brain, the neuroscience, the psychology, as well as leadership influence and my area of passion, which is working with women, yep. primarily working with professional women, helping them to overcome any self-limiting beliefs that they have. But that was essentially my journey. And they were the two, the two big stories. I mean, I have another one, but I won't share it in the interest of time. Um, That's brought me to where I am now, where we have the privilege of being in front of large groups of people, whether, you know, I mean, not anymore because world of COVID has changed things. So we don't have physical events, but virtually being able to connect with companies around the world on social media, we've got a network of about 280,000 people on various social platforms And the fundamental reason why we do what we do is because we want to be of service to humanity. We want to find a way to help people tap into their strengths, their purpose, and to serve so that collectively the world can become a better place. That's that's our vision and our driving mission. And I love that because it's 100% 
21st century business because you're driven by a purpose, not for profit. And, um, and that, that, that's ultimately, I think, what makes it that much more valuable. And you've found that niche to actually give back to women as well. So this is really cool. Now, I know that I'm not supposed to ask a lady how, um, how old they are, but you've just achieved so much. And just for the sake of the listeners, do you mind sharing your age with us? Of course, I'm more than happy to share my age. Um, so I'm 32 this year. Love that. And it's, it's, you know, it's interesting because I think about my journey and sometimes I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I wish I knew earlier that I could be doing what I'm doing now. I love this so much. This is absolutely my passion and my purpose. But then at the, you know, the flip side is I think back to when I was early or, you know, early to mid twenties, I wouldn't have had the maturity and the experience to be able to know that this is what I love and this is what I do and the credibility to bring that all in. And it's interesting because also I look at other young people now and I envy their confidence, their early twenties, their entrepreneurs, they're doing these things that I feel like back then I may not have had the, the skills or even just, yeah, the confidence to actually pursue it. And, you know, it raises another point about how everyone's journey is so different and we we need to avoid comparing ourselves to other people's journeys because it can inhibit us from, from really doing what we're here to do and Absolutely. being true to our journey and being true to whatever that looks like. Definitely. And, and I think um, shout out to one of the uh, previous episodes I had back in season one. He's, uh, he, he was a 15 year old and uh, I was in awe of him. So for me, it's, like you said, age is actually not something that honestly doesn't ing- matter as long as if you can learn from someone everyone's journey is different so that's great so i let's get straight into these five inner critics now this is something we've discussed and something that's very important in education that's been discussed quite a lot like um, i spoke with michael crosland a few episodes earlier this season exactly on resilience and um, a word that you've already mentioned so far so just at the top level, what are the five inner critics, just so you can list them out, the listeners can understand from an educational point of view, what are the five inner critics? So I'll, before I jump into the inner critics, I'll quickly define them. So just so we're all on the same page. So your inner critic is essentially a sub-personality that we all have within us that manifests as a voice in our heads and that, well, in our minds. And that voice highlights all of our weaknesses. It shines a spotlight on our insecurities. It tells us we're not ready. We're not good enough. It compares us to everybody else. And essentially its function is to make us feel less to prevent us from action. So with that said, there are five inner critics that I've identified through the work that I do primarily with women, but also the work that I have done within the corporate space. So I spent 10 years in corporate. And during that time, I noticed these in myself, but also in other people. So it's this cumulative view of what are these overarching voices that we're hearing? And the very, very first one is the classic judge. Now the classic judge judges you endlessly, what you did, what you didn't do, what you should have done. Nothing satisfies the classic judge. It's the voice that criticizes every decision that you make, blaming you for things that are outside of your control. And it instills a sense of self-doubt in you. It makes you doubt yourself, doubt everything you've ever done, everything that you want to do. I would say that perfectionism falls into the domain of the 
the classic judge. So perfectionism is where you may set unrealistically high standards that are impossible to, to reach. And then when you fail to reach them, you beat yourself up over it. Why did you even bother setting that? You're not good enough. You're terrible. So that's the first. And I think probably the most common that we see in people, because it's the most widespread. Yeah. Then we have the victim. And the victim feels powerless. The victim is intensely pessimistic um, and manifests in a complete lack of confidence and lack of motivation and zero hope. So we're seeing a lot more of this victim critic arise during this time because it is a time of uncertainty and insecurity and people are experiencing fear and anxiety as a result of that. And so this inner critic that is the victim is having a louder and louder voice. It also, it's also um, a voice that leads to a lack of responsibility. So someone who has a victim mindset or a, vic a victim critic is constantly blaming everybody and everything else. Yep. So there's a feeling of complete powerlessness, but also blame, which is and not it actually helpful. lacks accountability then. Absolutely. Because when you don't feel like you're responsible for anything, then you, you do nothing. Mm. <laughs> so that's the victim. Then we move into the protector. Now the protector is a really interesting one because the function of the protector is to protect you from harm. The protector wants to keep you safe, but how that manifests is in a form of risk aversion and a fear of failure because it's trying to protect you from the failure that may arise, the rejection that, that could occur. It, you know, this idea of wanting to keep you safe, how it does that is by stripping you of confidence so that you don't act, so that you don't take any step forward. And it undermines all of your capabilities and it actually paralyzes you when you listen to it. So that's the protector. Then we have the ringmaster. Now the ringmaster is an interesting one too, especially amongst, we see it a lot with entrepreneurs or a lot of high performing people and especially during times of challenge and change. So the, the ringmaster tells you that your value is based on how disciplined you are, what you deliver, what you achieve, how productive you are. And so it pushes you to keep on pushing beyond your limits. And then it convinces you that the moment you take a step back or the moment you relax, you are actually weak and a failure. So there's this cognitive distortion where you feel like you have to keep going and you have to keep pushing and you have to keep delivering or you are a failure. And how this is manifesting now is we have, you know, we do a lot of work with leaders around the world and some of them are feeling like, they still need to, because organizations and companies still need to perform. They still have commercial objectives that they need to meet. Otherwise, they risk not being around. And we've actually seen that happening a lot with a number of companies. Yeah. So a lot of people have this view that it is still business as normal. Business as usual. We must keep pushing. On the flip side, though, the reality is that it's not business as usual anymore. It's business as unusual. This environment couldn't be more unusual than it currently is. Expectations need to change. Mindsets need to change. And fundamentally, it comes down to how, you know, what support are we giving people so that they feel comfortable to speak up, so that they're also being compassionate with themselves if they're not pushing all the time. Mm. Because pushing all the time can lead to burnout. Yeah. Absolutely can lead to burnout. So that's number four, the ringmaster. And then number five, the neglector. The neglector tells you that everyone else's needs are more important than your own. Mm -hmm. It reminds you that you're not worthy of care. You're not worthy of investment. And therefore you need to just make sure everyone else around you is happy and okay. And that's it. 
Don't invest in yourself. Don't give yourself any time. What I find is that the neglected trait is much more common in women and much more common in women who take on carer responsibilities, whether that's for their own children or they're looking after other loved ones. It's also very much a social stereotype that women are the nurturers, they're caring, they're communal. And some women resonate with that, but some women don't. And so this is the danger of stereotypes and stereotype threat. But they're essentially the five overarching critics that, you know, if you think back to the last time you didn't take action or you held yourself back, you can start to think, okay, well, which of these critics was speaking to me and which one did I listen to? And it gives you an insight into what may have led to a certain outcome or what may have just completely held you back from action. Yeah, and I think this is, I'm loving everything that you're dropping here. And I, I was thinking that the neglected would be real best, best friends with, um, with the victim, I feel like. And um, something that, this is something that I've always studied about and understand how the physiological reactions happen when, for example, you're actually motivated versus when you're feeling like the victim when, versus when you're in the, the neglector. Um, have you had had a chance to look at what type of biological chemistry happens with each type of person is that something that you've looked at yeah not to the depth of each um, individual because a lot of them do cross over but i'll share some of it with you because it's fascinating i i think this is where it gets really interesting so the very very first part that i'll take you through is this idea of cognitive appraisal cognitive appraisal basically just refers to how you perceive the world around you. So it's the process, the mental process that you go through to make sense of what's happening to you. You know, another way you could refer to it is your interpretation of of what's happening. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who are, for example, in the victim mindset, they have a crisis appraisal where they will view change as a crisis, like what's currently happening right now. And when they cognitively appraise a situation as a crisis, their body physiologically responds to that. So the very first thing is you have a drop in energy, you have an increase in cortisol and noradrenaline. Now, when noradrenaline is released, what happens is we have this smooth muscle that lines our blood vessels. Mm -hmm. That vasoconstricts, which means, as you can imagine, you're getting less blood through to the muscles and tissues that need it, less oxygen going to to the muscles and tissues that need it. Mm-hmm. When you have less oxygenated blood flowing around your body, your prefrontal cortex is not getting the oxygen that it needs to think with rationality and logic. You feel sapped of energy because you're focusing on things that are outside of your control and it sabotages your performance. Also, when you're in that state, you are so much more likely to have these negative self-defeatist thoughts coming into your mind. Like you can't do this. This is too hard. You will never survive. So that's when you appraise something as a crisis. And the reason for that is when you look at evolutionary psychology, it's triggering the fight or flight response within your body. The amygdala is, is, you know, that part of the limbic part of the brain. It's like a little almond shape. It perceives a threat and it activates what you need for fight or flight. But when you're trying to just get on with life, this state is not healthy. In fact, it can lead to all sorts of health complications in the long run. If you're in a constant state of arousal, but the negative kind with cortisol and uh, feeling anxious. And and we're seeing that a lot where people are actually experiencing the negative side effects of the increase of these hormones. So that's the one side. So then what's the flip side? The flip side is something called a, an opportunity appraisal. Mm -hmm. 
So when you cognitively appraise something as an opportunity rather than a crisis, instead of noradrenaline pumping around your body, you actually get adrenaline. So that smooth muscle I was talking about, instead of vasoconstricting and reducing blood flow, it actually dilates. Not only that, your lungs, your ventricles in your lungs dilate. You get more oxygen in, more oxygenated blood flowing around, more oxygen to your prefrontal cortex. You are more alert. You are more motivated. You have more persistence. You can think more clearly. You're more creative. And naturally, how do you think you then show up? You've got the confidence. You can push through. You can come up with the ideas that you need. And so this is the beautiful thing about how our state and our, you know, our emotional state, our physical state impacts our thoughts and our mental state. But in the same way, it works the other way around as well. Our thoughts can actually impact our emotional state. And there's this fascinating research that's been done recently at Georgetown University where they found that negative thoughts are four to seven times more powerful than positive thoughts. Wow. Four to seven times more powerful. However, there's more to that research where they found that if you verbalize positive thoughts, that's 10 times more powerful than keeping it in your head. Yeah. So the beauty here is that what this is teaching us is that the value that comes from being aware of what we are saying, what we're articulating, and this could be on the, on the side of affirmations, what kind of positive affirmations or self-affirming statements are you repeating out loud? Mm-hmm. We hear a lot about positive affirmations, say them in your head, but until you understand the science behind it, it's easy to just think it's fluff. So verbalizing and vocalizing is so important, but also then being aware of who is in our inner circle, who are we spending time with in our lives, whether that's our colleagues, whether that's our friends, whether that's our families, and what are they saying? What are we saying when we're around them? Because the other piece which closely links here is this concept called emotional contagion, where we can almost catch the emotions and the moods of those around us. And it's because of mirror neurons that we, well, this is what some research has suggested. We have mirror neurons within our brain and we interpret what other people are experiencing, what their emotion is, what their mood is. And our mirror neurons will essentially mirror that and reflect it and mimic it. And so subconsciously, unintentionally, we end up taking on their emotional state without even being consciously aware of what's actually happening. Yeah. So all of this plays in because when you're listening to any one of these critics, you will look for information that confirms whatever it is that you believe in your mind. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, confirmation bias where we tend to focus on whatever confirms our belief and ignore everything else. Another concept is called selective attention, where we only pay attention to stuff that reinforces what we believe. And then there's another term called self-verification. It's a theory of self-verification where we want the world around us to reflect what we believe. And so we will set up a self-fulfilling prophecy within ourselves and how we show up and how we act to reinforce whatever is in our mind. This is why it's so important to be aware of what are you listening to? What are you giving airtime in your mind? Because you unintentionally will create that environment around you based on who you spend time with, who you align with, what you do, how you show up and ultimately how you perform. And then the world responds to you based on that. Yeah. 
And I think the simplest thing example that I've, that I sometimes use with my students is when you're looking for a red car, if you're looking for a red car, you watch, you're looking at a red car, every time you get on the road, you're seeing red cars everywhere, different shapes, different shapes, you're noticing even the red bus, but I guess red buses aren't even a thing these days, but um, all of a sudden, if someone asks you, have you seen that white car that just drove past, your brain has completely missed it. Even if you've seen it and your eyes have actually looked at it, it's just not registered. So I'm loving that. And this is also why I think it's very important to drive back and link it to the to educators as teachers, as coaches. You actually have to believe in what you're doing so that your students can exactly mirror and and build off that passion, the connect with you on that body language level, which this is something we were talking about just earlier today with um one of the lecturers was we're struggling when we can't be in the same room with the students because we can't actually have that connection on an online virtual virtual sense. So I know we're going off on tangent a little bit, but how do you overcome that on a virtual setting? Because it's a big problem in education right now. I can imagine it would be. And my hat goes off to educators everywhere navigating this time. This is not something that you would have learned how to do when you were studying or <laughs> something that you've, you know, we've, we've never been here before. It's such a new and novel environment for us. One thing that really helps, because naturally when you're on a screen, it's a very different experience. The other thing that we're actually finding is also what happens is you're, when we're interacting with someone physically, we're, look, we're picking up on social cues based on their facial expression, based on their body language. And this is all without us really being consciously aware of it. When we're looking at someone on a screen, our brain is trying to do the same thing. And it's much more difficult and it's exhausting. And this is why after a couple of hours on a Zoom call or you know, on a virtual meeting, you're exhausted. Whereas you could have spent the whole day out educating people or doing, and, and you would have been fine. It's because... We're just not used to this and our brains are on overdrive trying to make sense of what's happening. Yeah. So as educators, I think, you know, one part of it that I always say is awareness is really important. Not only your awareness, but actually communicating it to your students, mm. explaining to them this idea of this, this uh, biofeedback loop that we have, this behavioral feedback loop where you tell them, you know, if you're sitting watching uh, a lecture, watching a, a webinar, whatever it is, if you're sitting with your body slumped and you're, you're looking as if you're not engaged, you are reinforcing to yourself that you are not engaged. But if you sit upright, if you engage with what you're watching, if you, you nod when you agree, as you would when you're actually with someone in person, mm. you're reinforcing a certain state, which then results in neurochemicals being released in your brain because of certain triggers, and it makes you feel more engaged. So there's little things that we can do by way of educating other people about how their actions shape, how they feel and how they show up. So that's one part. But the other part is probably around, you know, if even telling them this idea around Zoom fatigue, where one of the reasons why you might be feeling exhausted is because we're not used to being behind screens. We actually were social creatures and it's normal to feel that way. Uh, so the openness is really important. Probably even I would say there's something called the pratfall effect, mm -hmm. which is a concept in psych where people like you more, they uh, find you more relatable, more approachable when you actually make a mistake or when you demonstrate some element of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So as an educator, I, you know, it might help to actually be really honest with your students and say, 
this is a challenge and I've noticed there's a lot less engagement and a lot less of this and this is not happening and we need to all acknowledge that and it's tough for me and I, it's tough for you you know so being really open and transparent about these things being on the same boat absolutely absolutely because it's a struggle for everybody in in some way or another mm. and so when you can just be really honest and real about that it almost gives other people the permission to also be honest and real with what they're experiencing as well yeah. No, I'm loving everything. This is, this is great. And so do you have advice that actionable advice that um, your if you were a teacher that they can carry out because it's after this unusual time period, what's going to happen is education is going to turn into what's called a blended learning attribute. So it'll be a mix of online virtual might be a completely virtual classroom in one setting. And then all of a sudden you might have to go into a workshop and present in front of your whole cohort. So do you have advice on how teachers can navigate this, prepare themselves? How do they actually be able to maneuver themselves? I feel like based on everything you've said, self-awareness is going to play a huge role in this, but what are your thoughts? What's your advice for them? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question and a tough one because we never had to be in that environment. But absolutely self-awareness, acknowledging or preempting what challenges there might be. But also, again, being really upfront with students about the potential challenges mm -hmm. and how, look, this may not work. It may not go smoothly, but we need everyone on board. When you position it, and I mean, the same thing applies with leaders of companies. You know, people will look to the leader. People look to the educator for the guidance and mm. steering to steer the ship. So when you can be really upfront with people about the fact that we've never done this before, we're trying, we're learning, but we are all in this together, it gives people a sense of ownership yep. and a greater sense of feeling like they're part of something rather than just along for the ride. Mm. So that's one thing, just being open and honest and sharing that let's see how we go and let's be open with our feedback. That's one element. The awareness piece is definitely important for themselves as well. I imagine for, for educators, it's so important to make sure that you're basically you're okay. Yeah. That you're looking after your physiological well-being, your mental health, your emotional health, because it's, it's, it's a tough time. Yeah. And I don't know how much support you would, you would all be getting. So making sure that you can be your best requires self-care, requires self-compassion, requires taking time to build yourself up so that when you're in front of your students, you can be your absolute best so that you can be that positive source of energy and they can feel that through emotional contagion. Absolutely. I think that's, it's, it is that unknown and that's what's scaring a lot of people as well. So you've got to take that extra little bit of time to, for yourself, develop those skills for yourself and support it with whatever tools you have. So valuable advice, valuable advice. Now, the other side of the coin when it comes to education is obviously the student and we've touched on it a little bit as well. So what's your advice for them? Because obviously the, they're, they're in an era where technology is a, that's all they know. They, most of the kids nowadays don't know a world without Facebook. Now, given our age, we've actually experienced both. So there's this clash between students and teachers who are technology evangelists, they're natives, they're digital, digital natives, but at the same time, they're now having to experience these things with a clash with mismatch of skills. What's your advice for them, especially I reckon in terms of how they can interact with their teachers, how they can approach this, but at the same time be aware of 
the damage it can do to them if they're not aware of the repercussions long term. But do you have any advice for students going through this weird learning phase that we're experiencing right now? Uh, I would, yeah, good question. Advice for students who are kind of navigating this. Look, I would say that this is, you know, again, using that idea of cognitive appraisal, sure, you could look at this as a terrible time in education and my education is being destroyed because I'm not able to be face-to-face, you know. Um, You can view it as a crisis, of course, if you choose to, but that would probably be one of your inner critics speaking up, maybe the victim. Or you can view it as an amazing opportunity to learn in a way that generations before you haven't, you know, and you can ask yourself, how can I learn how can I learn about how I learn? Mm. How can I learn about what works best for me? Because these are all going to be fantastic personal insights for you as a student now, as you then emerge beyond your studies and start to find your meaning in, in this world. Everything in life is an opportunity to learn and to grow, yeah. even the challenging times. In fact, I would say more so the challenging times. We get tested to, to you know, I'm such a believer that we never get tested beyond our capacity. And the tests that we have in life, the challenges that we have are really to just see where, who do we turn to? What do we turn to? What do we do? How do we grow from this? Or do we stay stuck as a victim? Yeah. So it's, again, I would reinforce, it's very much about the mindset that you choose to have. At the same time, though, you want to feel empowered to seek support if you need it. If you're finding that it's a struggle because you need more interaction, you need more connection, see if there's someone you can call, see if you and call someone else from your class afterwards for a debrief. Be proactive because again, the skill that comes from proactivity and resourcefulness, that will set you up for the rest of your life. Yeah. So you can almost view this as a bit of a, um, you know, an opportunity for you to get this fast track life skills piece. Yeah. Um, but it comes down to how you're viewing it and how you're turning up each and every day because how you turn up will impact how much you absorb, which impacts how much you learn And it impacts whether you're actually investing the time in the right ways or just wasting it. Yeah. And I think that's where the resilience comes in and and choosing to see the positive, the silver lining perspective and really embracing that. So then that will in turn develop resilience. And while you were listing off the, uh, the different types of five critics, something that came to my mind was the difference between, you know, vertical learning and horizontal learning. And uh, most of the education system now is actually designed towards industry 3.0, which is 100% horizontal learning, where we need to acquire these skill sets for production purposes. Whereas we then completely neglect vertical learning, which is all of these things like resiliency, um, self-awareness, and understanding how these different critics work, being able to recognize these emotions while they're happening, being able to, all these life skills, essentially they're life skills. And um, so this is great. This is awesome. And um, I'm I'm aware of time. So do you have any advice and um, a call to action for anyone listening in, whether they're teachers, students, or even professionals? Yeah, well, actually, what I'd like to end on super quickly is actually once you identify, like going back to the idea of inner critic, because it's such a relevant theme for right now, once you identify what critic is speaking to you and what they're actually saying, you want to 
you know, almost write it down. What is this voice telling me? Because you want to disassociate from it. It's not you saying that to yourself. It's actually some subpersonality. Yeah. And when you can disassociate, it makes it much easier to actually overcome it. So first step, disassociate from that voice. You are not that voice. Secondly, ask, what is it trying to protect me from? Is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear of rejection? What, what's happening here? Get really clear on that. Look at the evidence. You want to then examine the evidence. What this means is, is this critic telling the truth? Objectively, are they telling the truth or are they just trying to convince me of something which isn't correct? Yeah. And generally, that's what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Then you want to break the cycle. This is where we talk about cognitive appraisal. How are you appraising the situation? How can you shift your thoughts to something else? So this is called cognitive shifting. What you can do is ask yourself, how can I learn here? How can I grow? What can I do differently next time? What is within my control? And then the final step, you want to actually respond to that critic. You want to tell it, look, I hear you. I see you. I know you're there. I know you're trying to protect me from this, but I don't need your help because I am confident. I am capable. I am resilient. I will seek the support that I need. Yeah. You reinforce. And again, going back to that research that was done around positive vocalization so speaking something out loud 10 times more important or more powerful than leaving it in your head so actually verbalize that uh, so yeah look the the call to action would be be aware that this is a challenging time practice self-compassion don't be too hard on yourself you know there's there's a lot of toxic positivity going around right now where i read it the other day it said if you don't emerge from you know on the other side of this pandemic with a new skill a new business or something else then yeah. it's not time you lacked it's discipline yeah and while i get that from a motivational perspective it's completely denying the fact that this is a really challenging time this is a challenging time for parents having to homeschool their kids that's not a lack of time that's yeah. the fact that they're having to homeschool their kids yeah. you know it's not a lack of discipline it's so you know be aware of what you might be seeing make sure you're surrounding yourself with empowering content empowering people again, because of emotional contagion, and be aware of how your physicality and your thoughts actually shape and reinforce how you feel. Yeah. So we can, you know, it's like rewiring the process. And if you're feeling down, don't allow your body and your mind to reinforce it. Sit upright, sit in a confident pose, start repeating positive affirming statements. You'll actually start to rewire your experience and change your state. That's great. I love that because I think it's very applicable to every single person here that that positive, um, the toxic positivity that's out there. It's something that we discussed with a friend of mine very recently for that same purpose, because all of a sudden you're supposed to because it's all over social media, it's all over what you see these articles, you're supposed to have achieved all these things. But that's not the case. And that's very far from it. So you have to be able to apply it to your own context, not against the highlight reel of what social media is. So thanks so much, Shade. I think I've personally picked up so much learning for myself. So thank you so much for giving up your time. Thank you. It's been so lovely to be here. And look, if there's anything that um, any of your listeners want to know more about or they want to connect, I always encourage them to follow me on LinkedIn. I share content related to professional development, personal development, or even on Instagram where I share regular inspiring and motivational content. Absolutely. So thanks so much. It's been a true lesson in self-awareness today. So jump onto rashansenanayaka.com forward slash podcast and check out the show notes from today's episodes and make sure you connect with Shade like she mentioned, 
her professional content on LinkedIn and the more inspirational content on Instagram. I'm following her myself, so make sure you do it. It's actually a really good boost for, on a daily basis. Last but not least, make sure you guys click subscribe and share your love with the review. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about today's topic as well. So till next time, 